We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 301 of the Barcelona Podcast. I'm Dan Hilton, and no, I did not get a deeper voice. I'm clearly a bit under the weather, but like Messi during the last five years of Barcelona career, I'm expecting Levan, a.k.a. Barcelona. We'll put the team on his back today. So how you feeling, Levan? You ready to carry the show? I'm not on the duet. I'm just sick of it all. <laughs> well, first and foremost, before we get on to the actual content here, I do want to give a special shout out to all of our new patrons. We had Frances on show 300 put out that request and people do listen to Frances. So I was a bit too sick to deliver a Dinamo Kiev match review the other day. It was still nice to see all the support. So, but we carry on to today. We've got four main things to talk about with this show. And though that could turn into a bunch of other things, I know that I think the four main topics we've got, Levon, are Dinamo Kiev, a little review about that. Not much to say though. Nico Gonzalez, Injuries and Xavi. So, Levon, I'll give you the you the call. Where do you, where should we start? Let's start with uh, Kiev. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the first thing we want to put in the rearview mirror. You know, the one nothing win. There's two different things. Just like the last time that Barcelona got any result against, well, they got the draw against Kiev. But every time Barcelona gets some kind of result, right, you have to say, well, separate what happened on the field from what the result means. And what that result means that one nothing that three points in the Champions League means that Barcelona are now second in the group, and they once again control their own destiny in the Champions League. And no matter how ugly that match was with the rain and being in, you know, Kiev in, in November for all the different factors and who was out and who wasn't in and who was able to come off the bench and who's unavailable, blah, 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 who is returning like Ansu Fadi and Frankie de Young. The result is the result. And the three points are the most important thing. And it's, it's always difficult, though, under a new manager, Sergio Bezwan, we're trying to look at a lot of different things, but there wasn't much that I saw that was any different than the last few matches under the manager. But that's not to be you know, that's to be expected, we should say, because you don't have any time to actually really change anything at all. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so one one thing is that this is the narrative that uh, I hear a lot. Like once again, um, it's in our own hands, um, but it was always in our own hands, even after the, the first two losses, right? Um, what we needed to do was win three games. And now we just need to win one game less. As far as how much has changed or not, what I thought was interesting was that uh, we came out very aggressively, uh, especially uh, defensively. We pressed very high, and you saw the you saw the aggression. And the first twenty minutes was like, oh, cool, look at them, look at them press. But then you saw the holes that they left behind uh, that Kiev uh, could have easily taken advantage of. They they played around, played around uh, our press very well, which uh, kudos to them. It's also their quality. But it also shows you how uh, how difficult it is to to actually organize a team that 
depth press as well, and that is expected to uh, win most of their games. But because sure, in, in La Liga or in any league, you have teams that press well and people laud their press, but nobody cries if they lose. If Bilbao loses 10 games in a season, people still respect how, how well, uh, how good of a pressing team Bilbao is. So not only do we need to press well, we actually need to press extremely well because against Kiev, there was uh, like they had the better chances than us. Uh, and it was only through uh, extremely good finishing of our wonder, wonder kid that we brought home the victory. Yeah, if we were to pinpoint certain individuals in that match, not to say to put blame on, but I thought Barcelona could have easily taken the upper hand, as you mentioned at the beginning of that match with intensity. I thought Jordi Alba, for as good as he was in the prior two weeks since he came back from injury, I thought Alba was pretty rough in that game. And then I was kind of caught between two minds of Mingetha. The numbers say that he was actually Barcelona's most influential player, but that's because Dinamo Kiev were kind of pushing him to be the one to beat them. And Mingetha obviously couldn't really do that. Yes, he's the one who delivers the cross in that gets deflected. Then, as you mentioned, Ansu Fati, that finish is, look at it Look at it again. It was way better than I think you would have expected to catch that on the, what was it? I guess it was a volley. It wasn't even a half volley. It was on the volley. Then insert it in the top corner. So Mingetha, I don't know. He, it felt like he had a rough game. But in the same in the same regard, he winds up, you know, being a difference maker in the game. But I think once uh, Dinamo Kiev sitting in that low block again shows you that if Barcelona aren't going to win the battle on the wings with the fullbacks and they struggle, then Barcelona going to struggle against anybody. And you could see that Dembele, who we're going to talk about, he's one of the main topics later. But when Dembele came in, that opened up all that space from Ngeitha, who because I mean, no disrespect to Gabi either. He doesn't really belong on the right wing, but he belongs on the field. So I don't think the, the problem was starting Gabi. He was good enough to be starting in that game, but playing on the right wing wasn't really getting the best out of him because it wasn't keeping him wide against that, that low block. And then Dembele, again, coming on, just Dinamo Kiev didn't really want, know what to do with his speed or the fact that he could get touch, you know, get to the touchline. And that opened up that, that crossing lane for him. And Gaitha, then the goal happens. Uh, the other thing, too, individual-wise, is Frankie de Young. Looking a bit absent, I think people were right to kind of be a little more critical of him against Dinamo Kiev. His job clearly was to occupy the center backs offensively when Memphis dropped in deeper and to go up and kind of combat with the center backs. And also then defensively, it was to support the press with Nico in front of him and Busquets slightly behind him. So I felt like a lot of times in that game, it wasn't that he was absent. It's just that he was kind of caught in no man's land. And because he's not delivering a final third ball or because he's not the one who's dribbling out of space, uh, really, because Barcelona tried to build up together as a unit. That's why Ling and Garcia actually looked really good because the team was building up as a unit, it kind of left Frankie de Young in this position where he wasn't truly affecting the game I think people want him to. Then it's a, it becomes an entire referendum of him. But I, you know, I'm going to kind of throw that game out for him. I mean, he just had a bad showing. And I know people want more and more and more from him, but I'm not going to use that game as the example to ask whether we want more from Frankie de Young or not. I'm not even sure why people are hell-bent on, uh, on criticizing Frankie de Young as much as they are doing right now. He had a very good second season. Everybody can agree on that. He's not having a great third season right now, but the, th- the season has only just started. Uh, you know, we're like, well, 30% into the season. And to pick out individual performers when the team as a whole is not performing is very difficult. Unless we are talking about people who have not performed for years, like, you know, Coutinho, for example. Yeah, we are right to criticize him. Sergio Roberto. Sure, because it's been years that he's not playing uh, to the level that we want. But when we look at a player who has had an amazing second season and now is trying to figure out his role, and anyway, he played, people are saying that he played injured against Kiev. 
not much to, not much good or bad to say about the guy. And, and I think the bright spot, you know, I know we talked about the negative, but the bright spot about the midfield is just, I, I haven't got to do the Nico thing yet. Whether against Rio or Alaves, you know, because Francesca and I had talked about Xavi and Kuman being out on the Monday show, I, you know, haven't done the Nico thing. And it's interesting to me that his emergence is not at the pivot, but as an interior, almost an attacking midfielder against Kiev. You know, I, I looked it up and in the last three games, Busquets has lost possession 36 times. Nico has lost it just 23 times. And I knew they, I know they play different positions, but he's been tidy on the ball. And I know you and I talked about early in the season that unlike Gabi, Nico didn't really look up to it to start the year, right? He looked a bit behind. He looked a bit slow. It looked like he was going to take him a little time to integrate himself into the first team. And that wound up being true. But now it seems like he's arrived, right? The last three games really feel like his coming out party. He consistently wins the ball in the air and about half the balls on the ground too. I, my thing is too, watching against Kiev, how physical he was. He's still growing into that frame, you know, when he's still just 19 years old. And you can just see the physicality that he brings to it. And I was always, I, he was always one of the brighter players in La Masia. But one of those that I was nervous wouldn't be able to make the leap because he was just physically a little smaller in stature. And then that is not the case. He's really going into his body. It did look like he was a bit like a, a, you know, a deer in headlights or a baby deer, you know, wandering around for the last year and a half. Even with Barca B, when he became the pivot, that, you know, he's only been in that physical man's body for about a year and a half. So the right. more comfortable he he's gets. enjoying it, though. And yeah, he's enjoying having that new body. And it is, yeah. it's, like, it's, it's like an upgrade, right? It's like in it. So my 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 2010 Honda Civic, it takes about, you know, maybe two and a half minutes to get up to 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. But for him, he, he's going from a body that, you know, he could get up to 50 miles an hour over a course of a game. And now he can get up to 80 miles an hour right out of the gate because physically, uh, that's you now. It's like Spider-Man and Tony Stark gave him the new suit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, and there's there's so much to like about him. Uh, I really loved that when he played against Levante, which I think was his first start this season, he had a poor 30 minutes. His first 30 minutes were poor against Levante. And the last 60 minutes, he just rocked. You know, so the first time that he starts, it's in the camp now. He's not playing well. A young kid can get nervous after um, when, when the first 30 minutes he loses duels. But he didn't, he didn't like lose his nerve or anything. He... He played out the match and he actually improved a lot during that same match. Then he plays against uh, Atletico Madrid. A lot of people were like, oh, uh, Kuman threw him under the bus. It's a disgrace, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's okay. It's, uh, a manager can say about a, about a player. A manager is perfectly free to say, hey, you know, um, Nico Gonzalez should have followed his guy. That is not necessarily throwing the player under the bus. A player will improve. A player will under- understand. It's okay as long as the manager also tells the player in person and gives the player confidence in person, which Kuman did because he started against Rayo Vallecano. And Nico played an amazing match against Rayo Vallecano. Everybody was like upset that uh, uh, we did not win that match, but I was happy after that match because I enjoyed watching Nico play so much. And uh, the same yesterday. So yeah, he has the physicality that you know he uses his body very well to protect the ball. Uh, and he has a very functional technique. So he doesn't do anything flashy just to be flashy, but he does it so that he can just move forward um, and move the play to where it needs to needs to be taken, right? The only gripe I have is that um, he needs to learn how to defend, uh, especially set pieces. So yeah. he presses he presses well, but here also like defending backwards or um, on set pieces for two matches in a row against Alaves uh, and against Kiev, he got caught out very badly and he basically gave up 
an extremely good scoring opportunity um, for little reason whatsoever. But he's young. This is something that can be coached. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm going to continue to harp on this season that when it comes to the likes of Ansu and Nico and Gabi and Pedri and even Dest, Mingetha, Garcia, we've already seen in the, in the case of Nico, well, not really Gabi, because Gabi, just like Pedri, I haven't really seen, not say there's an improvement, but it's only also, also been two months. So, you know, that market improvement you're going to see is going to take a while. But, but Gabi came out of the gate so hot, looking so good that, you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to figure out exactly who he is to be able to figure out other than, you know, getting less yellow cards, how do we really market an improvement for Gabi and for Nico, because he started kind of slow, you can actually see the ways he's improved. Same thing with Eric Garcia. He started with all those disaster glasses and he looked completely out of his depth. So because he's looked pretty confident the last two or three weeks, now people are filled with, you know, a bit more trust in the player. And it's going to be a challenge to be able to, you know, market the progress that these younger players are going to make. But again, when it's like of Pedri, where Pedri actually slowed up because he started so well. And then for Ansu, combining his, you know, immaculate finishing with the things that he does need to improve on, which is his positioning, his defending, and actually his touch in the buildup has not been amazing since he returned from injury. And he's going to have to continue to be a little bit better with those combinations, especially when he's in the middle of the field. So I, clearly, I, you know, I'm struggling for those who know that uh, editing is done on these shows. You've already probably heard it already trying to get through it. So we're going to continue to carry on. It's going to be one of our shortest shows I think we've ever done, but we're going to carry on because just like me, there are some injuries in the Barcelona lineup. I'm trying to get through it, just like Usmane Dimele tried to get through his 30 minutes against Cinema Kiev. But it seems like he's injured again today. Dest is out as well. But Dimele, I think, is the story here. It's his 13th time injured at FC Barcelona. And because I've done this now 12 times prior to Levan, is there anything more we could possibly say about Dimele other than the fact that against Kiev, it makes sense why he's a member of FC Barcelona. And then the next day he gets injured. And all the questions arise again. And it just feels like rinse, repeat every single time. I, I don't think he should have played the minutes that they, that they gave him. I think that was uh, ridiculous. In general, people always blame like the club for all the injuries, uh, which I think is absurd because none of us are freaking sports physicians. Or is that, is that the correct term there? Uh, like, yeah, sports videos. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not sports sport physiologist so how would i know whether a player is ready to return or not the club has way more information and knowledge on this than me just some guy who watches games a lot and uh, is on twitter a lot and reads about football but i have not studied uh sport physiology however even me 
just a guy who watches a lot of football and reads a lot about football and has not studied sports physiology knows that you do not bring a player back from five months of injury and yeah. let him play 25, 30 minutes in a high, in, su- in such a high, inten- uh, highly intensive game. That's just ridiculous. So I was already upset when he was put on. Then I was very excited to, to watch him play because he remains um, one of the most fun players to, to watch. And I, I, I just love having him on the squad. And now it's just heartbreaking that he's injured again. I feel really bad for him. I hope that, uh, you know, it's, it's just a minor setback. We, we have the international break right now coming up after the match against Celta Vigo. Um, hopefully they're going to bring him slowly for the rest of the season. Well, yeah, and his contract winds up being the big thing, too. All indications are that he is going to renew, which is why he was brought back into the squad in the way that he was. Because if he wasn't set to renew, there was likely that he was, I mean, would he have been held out? I mean, it seems like that was a possibility. I don't think that they would in this case. I think his situation is a bit different than he likes, for example. I think that with Usman Dembele, everybody can be a bit more understanding if with all the bad luck, that he had had, he would just say, hey, you know, it's not necessarily that I'm leaving for more money. It's just that I need a change. Yeah. And and I think that is something that can be discussed and the club could still play him. And also it's in our interest to, to qualify for the Champions League next season. So I think the situation was very different from Elix, where Elix was in the perfect situation for, for him as a development, as a football player. And he chose... Leipzig for a bit more money. Yeah, and in the case of Dembélé, I think it's a matter of the club, not saying they could take advantage of the fact that he's had all these injuries, but at 24, he should be expecting a huge number on weekly wages that he knows that Barca can't pay him, but he hasn't been healthy. So if anything, Barcelona can see that his injuries are the only reason they can afford him in this instance, which is kind of an, an odd you know, chicken or the egg kind of thing mm-hmm. where let's say Dembélé, I mean, the, the example I always think of, the basketball example is Steph Curry that the reason why Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors was because Steph Curry's ankles were just awful in his first few seasons. So when he goes to sign that renewal, his first, you know, uh, new contract, they wind up getting a discount, that being the Warriors, because you have his ankles were, you know, you thought they thought he'd only be in the league for seven, eight years. Not only does he stay healthy, but Steph Curry becomes one of the greatest shooters ever. And then, but that just means that they can also afford Kevin Durant because they also get Draymond Green, who's a second round pick on second round, second rounder money. So that's what happens. And that's, I mean, I'd say that there's a comparison between basketball and, and, and football and how those salaries are all adjusted. I understand that. But the point is, if you can get a player like Dembele on some kind of quote unquote discount because of the injuries he's had, combine that with your La Masia talents who are, are, are on cheaper numbers. That is how you can restructure your team. And then you can eventually afford to bring in a superstar. That, right. that is the model to be able to bring in a superstar. You have to get value elsewhere. And Dembele's contract looks like it could be value. Yeah, of course, if he weren't injured, then uh, he'd have a higher contract and he'd be worth it because that's another thing like he showed yesterday that he completely changes the game. Even And we saw it last season as well. Last season, even when Dembele played poorly, it gave the team more options because the opponent had to account for Dembele. They could not say, ah, you know, we're just kind of gonna, we're just kind of going to kind of defend Dembele because he's going to yeah. mess up anyway. No. No, that is not how you defend Dembélé because just his attributes and his skill set will rip you apart. Don't, don't, the only way that ends up stopping Dembélé is Dembélé. That's why an opponent cannot relax because they cannot count that tomorrow is the day that Dembélé is going to stop himself. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at other of his contemporary wingers around that same age and profile, whether it's a left wing or left wing on the right wing, but like whether it's Sterling or Gnabry or Orzabal or Marco Asensio or Lucas Acampos. Uh, I think of Rafinha from Leeds United, Bailey from, from Aston Villa, who's, you know, struggling at Aston Villa, or Lozano, uh, that being Chucky Lozano from Napoli. But already we're into Chucky Lozano territory, right? When you're talking about that kind of profile. So to get a player that good who can change a match like that, on your wing, again, at the number they're going to get him at, I think you got to sign that up right away. Because even then, like now you're talking about the Munir class, right, at Sevilla, the former Barcelona player in Munir. And that kind of player, uh, in reference to Dembele, just potentially has so, so much more that he could provide than so many of those players. Oh, I, I don't think there's a comparison. And and again, I think that there are, there are plenty of players who are better than Dembele because of their consistency and because of right. their decision-making. Uh, but for example, Nabri. He's a better player than Dembélé. Yeah, I agree. But a defense is going to worry more about Dembélé than about Nabri. Yeah. Well, Nabri also, he's only been healthy for two years himself. Yeah. Well, but a, a, apart, from, apart from the injuries. Yeah. I mean. but, I, but I do count durability as being a part of the package. That durability oh, doesn't matter. And that definitely knocks Dembélé down. Like, I actually put him behind Juventus's um, Kesa at the moment, just because Kesa shows up. Uh, every single, every single, not every single week as a good player, but he's 23 and he's barely missed any matches. And so I just, I put him above Dembele in that category just because he's available and he's going to give you a base level every, every single week. And Kiesa is a very good winger. Plus, I like Kiesa at Juventus. Doesn't he have like some kind of link there? Didn't his father also play for the team or something? Yeah, his father is not, uh, not a legend. I think he could actually be a bigger legend than his father winds up being, but his father was a good player, even better than, uh, than Fran Gonzalez at Deportiva La Coruña. Anyway, so we talk about Xavi now. It is, as you can hear, yes, I, I'm slowly losing steam as the show goes on. I appreciate everyone who's just like in a, in a Barcelona match, right? That it seems like Barcelona started well out of the gate, still haven't gotten that big goal. And I know you're waiting for that, that big hit today. But uh, yeah, Xavi's still not done. Unfortunately, if we did the show 24 hours from now, we might be talking about Barcelona's new manager. But for now, we're just talking about a guy in a bunch of meetings in Qatar. Mm-hmm. So here's my take on this. So uh, I, I see everybody criticizing Laporta for not traveling to Qatar. Um, and uh, I don't think Laporta should travel to Qatar. Uh, Laporta made disparaging comments about Qatar some years ago when they were on our shirt. I agree with those comments. I think Laporta should stand by what he said. Uh, he should not be forced in a position where now he goes there and uh, ends up on a million photos with uh, with the royal family of Qatar. Also, I believe that if Qatar gave Xavi their word that they would let them go, then let them break their word and stop him, right? Uh, I do not think that Barcelona needs to, like, if Barcelona wants to pay the lease cost to make it happen, great, and we probably should. So I'm okay with the way that these negotiations are going. I hope that uh, Xavi comes and let's take it from there. Yeah, I mean, the big difference now we're seeing under Laporte's regime is that whether it's Planes or Just and Alamani, who are the two that are in Qatar right now, or even throwing in Jordi Cruyff and his role at the club, it seems like it is very much a committee of a lot of different figures. And so far, Alamani is uh, hit on his decision making so far. Yeah, we don't know who exactly is the one that gives a thumbs up or thumbs down to each and every decision, or even the power that, you know, Ronald Koeman had as manager with the decisions that he was making uh, all the way up then down through the system. But in the case of Xavi, it sounds like this is so far the line that, he, you know, Xavi is now coming out with stuff that he wants to come, that he knew they knew he wanted to come and that it's only a matter of time, yada, yada, yada. But I, because Barcelona are being forced to make this kind of move, 
just in the, the first week of November, uh, you know, the, the, the guitar side in Al Saad has every right to string this along or to make sure that they have Xavi's release clause paid or to make they it do. difficult for Barcelona. It's, it's that well within their right because Barcelona are the ones who are on the back foot in these negotiations. That said, if it's a 5 million euro release clause for Xavi, you want Barca to just, just get, get it done, bring him in, have it, have it be done and dust and have him in training by next week. By or well, next exactly. Week. Yeah, exactly. They do. However, it's also true that if, if they gave their word to Xavi to let him go, then. Yeah, that's true too. Then they should let him go. And, and I think that is the reason why the latest reports are that Xavi himself is going to negotiate with the Shaikh. Mm-hmm. Because like, that's kind of weird, right? For the trainer to, to, neg- to negotiate uh, whatever is left to negotiate for him to leave. So that also points towards, hey, these guys gave Xavi their word. Now Barcelona comes and, and Al-Sad is asking for, for a friendly, for La Porta to come for, for photo ops and, and whatnot. And they're asking for all these things. But if they already gave their word to, to Xavi to let him go, then these things should not be necessary. They are legally within their right to do it. Um, but towards Xavi, they should just let him go. Yep. So, again, but- un- un- unless it's false that they gave him their, their word and they never gave him their word at all. In that yeah, case. He said, she said then at that point. Yeah. Who knows? Yep. Well, um, I, I think anybody would know that, yeah, I've been struggling through this show uh, and uh, Levon, it's late where you are. So this is going to wrap up, I think, one of the shortest shows we've ever done. I mean, again, the next time you might have us in your ears, Xavi, a club legend, might be in charge of FC Barcelona, but we're going to be in the exciting. break. Yeah, exactly. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. you can hear my voice, but it's, it's something that I, I'm looking forward to really breaking down. I talked about his tactics and some of the ideas he wants to bring, but it's going to take a little bit of a while. It's going to take some patience. But as you and I have talked about before, Levon, that patience, I think, is what Kules are willing to give Xavi in a way that even they weren't willing to give Kuman because Kuman did have a reputation of being a stubborn disciplinarian. And I think people kind of were able, once the results went sour, as they did in a lot of other places for the last 20 years, people started to lean into those negative, the negative stops on his tour, right? And Xavi only has one job and you can question whether that job was enough, but he's had nothing but success where he is as a manager in Qatar. And I think people are going to give him the benefit of the doubt and time. And the fact that too, that in recent memory, people just remember him a bit, you know, more clearly than uh, than, than Kuman was. And again, Kuman did have the issues in his managerial resume in a way that Xavi does not yet. But in that same regard, it's going to be, I'm interested to see, unfortunately, I'm interested to see the first time that Xavi looks out of his depth, which is going to happen. It's just a matter of does it happen in game one, game three, or game eight or 10. Mm. Or, or it might not, we'll see. Um, I, I think that Xavi will also demand a lot of discipline. I think Xavi is the kind of coach who um, has a very strong idea of how he wants his team to play. And he wants his, uh, his players to, to follow the instructions that, that he gives them. So I guess but that's also, what we mean by but, discipline, right? Like there's discipline in training and off the field, and then there's discipline in, in execution, right? Are we talking, we're talking about execution, I think even more so than we are discipline. Yeah, I'm talking about execution. But um, yeah, the other part, I, I, I don't know about. I, I don't really, I never really heard that Kuman was that big on discipline either, was he? Uh, I mean, he, he used to be... <coughs> <laughs> I mean, it used to be in the past. You heard that from Southampton at Everton but and Valencia, but not so much now. I think maybe he softened that a bit in, you know, 20 years of managing. I just heard that he was a jerk. 
not necessarily a disciplinarian, just just, just, mean, just rough around the edges. Yeah. And that's just the personality Which, of it. Xavi is just intense. That's the thing that everyone is already. I mean, even when he was a player, even when he was club captain, he's very intense, not in a negative yeah. way, but just very intense. Like, get on my level or we're going to have to forget about you. And so there are guys that went to that locker room that talked about that um, during those great teams that Danny Alves, you know, will mess with you. PK will mess with you. He'll be a bit silly. Puyol is very kind. He'll take you on his wing on the field. He's going to scream at you, but he also is going to hug you afterwards. And, you know, Messi's kind of standoffish, but he's always a consummate teammate. And yes, is just very kind and quiet goes about his business, but Chavi was just very intense. And, you know, you could quickly be overwhelmed where it's not really, yeah, it is an ego. There's an ego that he says, I know I'm one of the best players. I know I have one of the best football minds on the planet and you got to sign up or, 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 or we're going to have to leave you behind. And I think that's what he's going to bring to the club. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Another edition of the show. Again, it wasn't our best, but we, we got it out there. Thanks so much for everyone for listening. Again, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I don't think I have time to even put all those pitches out. YouTube, yada, yada, yada. But anyway, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.